0: Hi, and welcome to Willow Roundtable Discussions. Willow is an events-driven community where industry experts and entrepreneurs can come together in social settings and share the latest intelligence in cutting-edge technology and investment opportunities. Our group discussion starts now. want to thank everyone for coming. I know you're not coming because of me. You're coming because of these, like, very um, famous people that we were lucky enough to have in our our office today. So, uh, like I said, this is a Willow event, so we do weekly um, events on different topics that I find interesting. We gather experts together for these sort of roundtable um, discussions, and so today our event is on DeFi. So let's get started, and let's get started with um, our speakers giving uh, each of us, or each of them, an introduction. Let's maybe start with Andrew.
1: Um, I'm Andrew. Um, I run Mechanism Capital. We're a crypto fund that um, um, you know does business in the primary market for pretty much anything crypto-related. Um, so... We do have everything from, you know, debt financing for for mining operations to investing in equity of exchanges to also, uh, you know, uh, investing in primary market token deals. And we also trade quite a bit in the secondary markets across spot and derivatives.
2: I'm Tom Schmidt. I'm a partner at Dragonfly Capital. Um, Dragonfly Capital, uh, it's a $300 million crypto venture fund. Um, Sort of our calling card is that we're... Sort of split between Asia and the U.S. So uh, we have a team in China, Singapore, me obviously in in Taiwan, and then we have a team in San Francisco. Um, I focus specifically on DeFi, but um, you know our investments sort of run the gamut for early estate investment. So we do um, CFI, we do mining, um, we do a lot of token deals, things like that.
3: Uh, hi, <clears throat> my name is Ken. I mostly did some advisory ICO stuff back in twenty seventeen and recent, uh, more recently, in, or. In recent years, got involved with DeFi, uh, as well as some NFT stuff, mostly just running my own book right now. Um, Have Andrew to thank for the initial intro into the space. And yeah, mostly just discretionary trades, primary deals, uh, stuff like that.
4: Um, Hi, I'm Yan Wen. So I work on a perpetual protocol, which is a decentralized perpetual swap protocol We're a team in Taiwan and... um... Um, yeah, I think that's it.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Ryan. I lead BD in strategy for Trust Token. I think a lot of people know us for the TUSD stablecoin, but we've also recently launched uh, TrueFi, on-chain unsecured lending protocol. Um, and so even though I'm not a trader myself, I get to interact with a lot of traders through my work. So hopefully I uh, have something interesting to say.
0: Awesome. So um, I think everyone knows that about the news about um, Coinbase going to IPO tomorrow with initial um, USD 100 mil valuation and their CEO, Brian Arsom said that in the firm's earning call last week that providing access to DeFi will be their priority going forward. So for a central exchange to put the spotlight on DeFi as a future, we would like to explore why the future is DeFi and we've brought the biggest investors and projects here in Taiwan to start so. And I also think we've kind of let the bag or the cat out of the hat a bit with um, no one really knew that Andrew Kang and Tom were here in Taiwan. So I think that's kind of what caused a lot of the excitement. And a lot of people ask me like, hey Andrew, are you even Taiwanese? Like, what are you doing here?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not Taiwanese. I, I came here because of a, a conference around a year and a half ago. It was the, it was the Asia blockchain summit hosted by Andrew Fei, who was a friend of mine. and So I like, come out and I was like, okay. And then, you know, I came out and I love Taiwan. I kind of just stuck around.
0: Awesome, awesome. So I want to start a question with, um, with everyone here. Um, what do you see are the uh, biggest themes in the market today after uh, DeFi summer and then uh, Layer 1's having an active fall and now with NFTs? Um, what are your thoughts right now? Maybe Tom could start?
2: Yeah. Um, it's a good question. And it's obviously something that you know we, we think about um, when we're looking at investments because so much of like, the investment space is I think, driven on, on, on narratives. Uh, I mean, for me, yeah, actually, I forgot to mention, uh, before I joined Dragonfly, I was head of product at ZeroX uh, for two years, which is uh, one of the largest decentralized exchanges. Uh, and so for me, DeFi has always sort of been like the story around crypto. Like it's been pretty obvious from, from day one that you can't just have money. You need other types of like financial services and financial assets to sort of accompany the money. Um, and so, you know, when I joined Dragonfly, um, I specifically focused on, on DeFi. And so um, for me, when I look forward... I still think DeFi is a large part of the story. It's just a matter of um, what, what sort of story you can tell within DeFi. Um, so for us, when we're looking at new, new investments, things that I get most excited about are teams working on solving new problems or do something completely new. Um, so you know, we probably don't need uh, you know, 10 more compound clones or you know, 10 more Uniswap forks. Um, we probably need people doing something you know, really innovative, something really different. Um, and so when I look at sort of at the space more broadly, um, it's things like you know, derivatives, things like structured products, things like unsecured lending. Um, and they can make me really excited because they have an opportunity to sort of grow the pie for everybody as opposed to just making the current pie more efficient. Um, so I think when I look forward uh, for 2021, you know, a large part of where we're thinking about you know, putting our, our capital work is in, is in DeFi. Uh, I think another sort of um, you know, growing theme that a lot of people are discussing now is, is MEV. Um, so for those who don't know, MEV is minor extractable value. Um, which is sort of this concept that um, you know, within Ethereum, um, obviously within every single block, you know, every transaction has to be valid. Um, but um, uh, you know, within the block, every miner is basically has discretion as to how those transactions get ordered. So people think that every transaction in a block has to be ordered according to gas price. Um, but in reality, that just sort of expresses your, your price preference. Um, the miner um, who's mining the block can order transactions in a block anywhere they want. Um, and so you see what, we, what they call um, you know, front-running or back-running or sandwiching, or basically different types of um, bots or sophisticated actors will rearrange transactions within um, a block in order, in order to, uh, for example, win a really juicy liquidation um, that's maybe occurring on a lending protocol, um, and they sort of have full discretion over the ability to do that. And normally that's occurring um, via third parties, so individuals around the world who run these these trading bots, basically, that go and find these opportunities. But increasingly, miners themselves are actually going and Reordering transactions within a block in order to um, extract value, which is where minor extractable value comes from. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of teams address this through a couple different ways. Um, some teams are starting to compartmentalize it and um, basically turn it into its own um, sort of product. So Flashbots, um, it's a team that I've been helping with um, a lot of their um, recent product developments. They basically allow um, uh, um, an auction to take place on the rights to reorder transactions within a block. And then some of that value goes back to the miner instead of having to be a miner in order to play in this transaction ordering game, anybody can still participate, um, but it's, it's more transparent, a little bit more open. Um, I think there's also a lot of protocols now that are working on ways to um, basically make sure that on a protocol level, you remove a lot of the potential MEV that can occur. Um, so just designing it such that transaction ordering and sort of this, this gas price war that we've sort of seen been happening on-chain Um, plays plays less of a a part in sort of the user experience and uh, um, the overall security of the system. So I think those are, you know, how we sort of think about um, investment theses
1: in uh, 2021.
0: Interesting. Thank you. Um, How about you, Andrew?
1: I think um, Tom covered it pretty well uh, across uh, MEV and kind of the expansion of DeFi into into more complex derivatives. But um, I think one thing that's really lacking is kind of the incorporation of real world assets in into DeFi and the crypto in general, because right now DeFi is, is very self-referential, right? Cash flows are, are being created based on transaction volume and borrowing lending of other, you know, crypto native assets. And so in that sense, it's kind of like a closed box. But um you know, when we talk about real world assets, that's you know like a trillion dollar space across stocks, across um, you know, bonds, across FX, et cetera. And um I think once those flow into crypto, like that'll kind of give more validation to this space, both from, um, you know, those in traditional finance and it'll also kind of open the door for the system to be not as self-referential and also open uh, the space up to, you know, inflows of billions, if not trillions of dollars of assets. Cool.
0: Um, Ken, do you have anything to add on that?
1: Um.
3: Yeah, I, um, I tend to be a little more reactive. Um, most of my background with the stuff that I did was in China in 2017, also during kind of like the ICO boom, right? So for me, I'm like, I, I tend to be a little more cautious as far as fundamentals go. I very much think that um, crypto is cycle driven, and we're at a point in the cycle where I think 95% of the uh, token value is going to come from the narrative. Um, I like a lot of the polka dot stuff that's coming, like the auction, you know, the auctions are going to be, uh, I honestly, I don't even know like, what's going on with the auctions and are <laughs> happening. <laughs> I know they're coming up, I know there are a lot of Chinese buyers that are going to be there, and so that's where a lot of my attention is focused. Um, that said, um, after hearing a lot of what uh, Andrew and Tom mentioned, I agree with you know, stuff like say un- uh, unsecured loans, um, there's something else Andrew mentioned but I forgot um, but I think I think in general at this point a lot of the primary stuff that the, that we're doing is just dependent on whether or not the team can execute uh, and sort of uh, uh, and the more you know fundamentals focused stuff is just can they survive through a bear market a lot of the stuff that we're doing I don't expect to see any liquidity at all this year uh, you know I Anything that we throw in, I'm just prepared to ride it out for the next three or four years. If there's any particular, if, as far as like any specific space that I'm looking at right now, I think um, anything that brings more liquidity to NFTs, I think would be really helpful. That seems to be one of like the bigger issues with the space right now. I think this crop of, um, this cr- the crop of NFTs that have come up with this recent wave, like 99% are going to zero. None of this is worth anything. And all the people selling them know that as well. Uh, you know, you can introduce a way to fractionalize them, or you know, or shard them, however you want to call it. Um, that might be able to allow smaller players to, to, you know, that might be able to allow smaller retail inflows. Um, but, you know, again, like I think it's late cycle, and so I don't really, not that fundamentals don't matter. I'm just not looking at them too much anymore. Um, that, yeah, that, that's sort of my I take. I like on how this. you're
0: thinking, Ken. Um, uh, Yanwen, what about you? I know you're not a trader, but what maybe something exciting about um, what you guys are up to.
4: Um, I think Andrew and Tom cover it well. And uh, one thing I want to add is Layer 2. I think most of the Layer 2 uh, protocols will launch this year. And I think that will kind of like bring a new wave for innovation and also like um, adoption to the system. So I think that's... Uh, I mean, we already operate on Sky, which is a sidechain. But I'm very psychic on I mean seeing IBSC like, like going doing pretty well. I am I'm, I'm really excited to see like Abichang or like Amikisen like going well. Yeah.
5: I guess on my side, like the other speakers have said, definitely uh, unsecured lending and on chain credit. Um, like Tom said, <clears throat> the MEV stuff is really interesting. I, I work with a fund and you know there are a couple of Trust Token alumni and they do that stuff very competitively. And if you look at the Etherscan transactions of the people who do these trades, it actually looks like magic, like the stuff that they're doing. These trades are so small, they're so fast, they're touching like five or six different things. And like the level of sophistication that goes into that trading is mind-blowing to me still. Um, and then also I'm, I'm really interested in some of the things around, uh, I guess like interest rate swaps, you would call it, or just pulling yield forward on some of the... Interest bearing tokens. So we're working with um, a protocol AP Wine. And basically, like, you know, our protocol has TF tokens that represent future yield plus the stablecoin. And you can go to AP Wine and you can basically split the underlying stablecoin from the future yield. And then you can trade and do things with the future yield. And in the case of a you know, stablecoin that goes into perpetuity is one thing, but, you know, again, like in the case of our protocol, you have individual loan tokens as well. So you could have a loan token for like an Alameda or a, you know, Dragonfly or whoever loan, and then when that comes to expiry, you can do different things with that as well. You can rebundle those, basket those, so a bunch of really uh, cool stuff going on there too in DeFi.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys. I think it's so funny when I have like the headphones on I can't I can't really hear or see what's going on outside. But um yeah, I think like here we like to keep things really casual and fun. Ryan knows that, he's been like my only like ongoing ongoing guest for the previous rounds.
6: 24.
0: Yeah, thank you buddies. But um so I think we're gonna go through some questions and then like have you guys chat amongst yourselves and then open it up because there's a lot of um investors and people deep into DeFi in the audience as well. And yeah, just really like sharing ideas and and stuff like that. And I I was really like overwhelmed and really like happily surprised that there was so much people that wanted to attend. And, you know, our space here is a little bit hard to find and getting in the building. So if anybody that knows someone who couldn't find it or is lost, uh, I apologize like a hundred times and I hope we can do this in another location again. With like, you know, easy access, not all of these like secret handshakes and and codes and stuff like that to get in. But anyways, yeah, cool. Let's continue. So, um, yeah, very casual. It's like, you know, what about, let's start again like with Andrew. Is there anything, um, is there anything that you wouldn't really touch right now?
1: No, like uh, we'll trade anything. Like I was gonna say, like we would not touch scams. But we'll, we'll we'll trade scams. Not that like we'll we'll you know advertise <laughs> that, but you know like XRP. If we know it's gonna go up, we'll buy that and you know we'll sell it higher. So
0: <laughs> nothing's off limits. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, I mean.
0: Same sentiment. <laughs> yeah.
2: No. Uh, um, I, I mean, for Dragonfly, at least for for the venture fund, you know, we're buy and hold fund, where the whole fund is seven years. Um, and so, you know, we, we tend to, you know, focus less on sort of these short-term things. I think A, just because we're not as good at it and, and B, it's just not sort of our, our expertise. Um, so, you know, when I think about stuff that I want to buy and hold, it has to sort of be like on that on that time horizon. Um, I kind of agree with Kenny. I think NFTs went through like an incredible, like, you know, basically like mini twin 2017, like blow off top hype cycle and, and things seem to be crashing down just looking at like, you know, on-chain um, transaction volumes. And so I think, um, you know, for us, when we think about investments in the NFT space, it's thinking about what is a good seven-year investment if you're long-term bullish on, you know, digital ownership, digital credit, which we, we are. Um, and so for that, it looks like things more like um, platforms. Um, so, for example, we live the seed in Showtime, um, which is Alex Mesnage's, um sort of, so you can think of sort of like Instagram for NFTs, so basically having to sort of curate and, and demonstrate. Do
0: you think it's more the platforms or more like the the artist work that's going to, you know, increase?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're... I mean, I, maybe this is controversial. I think some NFTs will sort of, uh, you know, last the, the, the stand of time. I think um, um, some stuff will be, you know, let's say valuable five, seven years from now. It's like, you know, buying a Picasso and it's like maybe it only gets more and more valuable. But a lot of stuff is probably not going to be as, as valuable. You know, probably buying that, that Logan Paul NFT. Probably not the best idea. Yeah.
0: I, think, I think last week at our event, we had someone talk about uh, life-size NFT adult entertainment dolls. Is that where the conversation went? Anyway, uh, yeah, Ken, or, right, right, Ken. What, what are you? Throw some hate out.
3: So what I learned in 2017 <laughs> is you don't invest in Silicon Valley founders at this point in the in the cycle, because all of them think they're God's gift to crypto and like Stanford
0: they're, PhD. right? Yeah,
3: they're gonna want to do things you know properly. They want to be compliant. Not not to say it's not it's not a good thing. It's just it takes time, and we don't have. You know, like a year worth of runway right now to figure all of that stuff out. The market moves when the market wants to move, and right now it's you know like it's going full steam ahead. Um, I think, in general, too, with a lot of the a lot of the teams with really smart people that you see coming out now, tend to be um, smart enough to to come up with good ideas and good pitches, but they're also not the type of risk takers who will. Try the space out and try to build things when no one else is looking at the space. So, the best time really to invest in, you know, um, just like tier like A players like that is definitely during a bear market. And we're not in a bear market right now. And the ones coming out here right now are going to be super mercenary and they're just here for the opportunity. That's so, really
0: funny. So, don't trust smart people. I think a lot of there's a lot of sentiment that like DJ <laughs> traders have like part, part of the lowest IQs, like amongst.
3: Yeah, like, as the market progresses, you want to lower your IQ gradually, right? Like, I'm doing my best to, you know, get myself down to a
5: fourth grade reading level, you know? Like,
0: <laughs> you could be dyslexic like me. That that helps, too.
5: I, mean, I guess on the point of lowering my IQ, I mean, the, the one thing that I do avoid is algorithmic stablecoins. I don't get them. There's, like, too much math or something, and I just feel stupid every time I try to understand them. And uh you know, like I said, I'm not a trader. If I buy something, I want to buy it for a longer period of time and no confidence. I don't understand them. I don't know why people would ever want to use them.
0: But instead, you know, other yeah, asset I mean, back stable coins are, are, you know, are where it's Peter at. <laughs> right yeah, <laughs> look at me. There's you know, back there. Right
5: okay.
0: when right okay. <laughs> like... uh, do you want to like throw some hate out?
4: No. I mean, I think people should trade perp token, which you our own token. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but other uh, than that, I don't know. Yeah.
7: Okay, cool. And maybe you have some more like specific All questions. Right. Uh, then we probably dive into like the more technical ones, since like Yanwen he doesn't really cover like for the investment part. So uh, since you mentioned that like the layer two like it's actually coming out, um, like do you probably have a view that like what's the view of the current like uh, overall like competition around the level one like blockchain, and what does that mean for Ethereum like level two coming? out?
4: Oh, um, that's a good question. So. Personally, I mean, just personally, I believe in uh, all the roll-ups. So I believe Ethereum will win in the end. So I think most of the later one. I mean, they I mean, they are like exciting ones. I mean, like BSC, like Avalanche. I really like Avalanche, but I think Ethereum will win. So um, the reason is um, I think most of the people. I mean, most of the ETH maximalists they host a lot of ETH tokens. And then they, I think they have assets, so they they kind of like have the skin in the game. So they want ETH to be successful. So I think most of them will keep investing in, I mean, Game Two, Arbitron, or, or A ZK ZK World
5: Up, all this. So that's my personal take. Same camp. I'm also, I'm also, uh, you know, the long term. But I guess a more a more general point there is just, you know, from. Working on TUSD, you kind of have I've had the chance to talk with all the layer ones, and I just feel like the, as a general point, it is uh, underestimated how tough it is to get widespread adoption, specifically with the exchanges, like to actually get the exchanges to support each of the individual token standards of all the layer ones. You know, for better or for worse, I think the only one that's really done it well is Tron. You know, they've kind of got wide support there, and now that each of the big Chinese exchanges has their own competing blockchain standard, you know, even less so, they're going to want to put in the effort to support like Algorand's token standard or Avalanche's token standard or whoever it is. No offense to any of those teams. Um, But I just think that that's underestimated in terms of how difficult it is. Which on the flip side is, you know, credit to Solana. You know, I think they were very smart for what they did with uh, Sam and, and all that.
7: Tom, do you have something to add since like your firm like Dragonfly invested into a dozen uh, uh, DeFi projects and also like Seafi uh, before as well. So what's your view on like Ethereum late like, to, to layer two coming up?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're uh, yeah pretty much fully allocated into, into Ethereum. We've done some checks into other layer ones that are, um, tend to be more specialized. So, um, you know, Celo, for example, um, sort of building a stable coin for uh, emerging markets. Um, we get a large investment into Nier, um, which is, uh, you know, building a um, sharded sort of next generation blockchain with a, they just launched the trustless bridge with Ethereum, which seems to be kind of the missing component for a lot of teams that are using, uh, you know, their their blockchain is sort of an Ethereum L2. Um, we're also early investors into Matter Labs, who build ZK Sync. Um, they're doing some really amazing work. I think. You know, the trade-off almost traditionally around L2s, um, um, as far as roll-ups go, has been you either go with sort of the optimistic approach, like with optimism or with Arbitrum, um, and you get this sort of nice full solidity EVM compatibility, but you have this sort of weird UX and this weird sort of exit game when someone actually wants to exit the chain, and people are trying to find some ways to, you know, resolve that by creating markets for for exiting, but it just creates a lot more complexity for, for developers. Um, or you have sort of the ZK roll-up, which has sort of nice cryptographic finality. Once the proof is on-chain, it's done, but very difficult to build as a, as a dev. Um, it's basically a totally new language. It's Sync. Um, most people have no experience using zero-knowledge proofs because they're kind of brand new. Um, so it's just this, this whole new thing. Um, what ZK Sync is working on or about to launch is basically full EDM compatibility or portability um, to ZK Sync. So you can write your Code and solidity uh, for EVM, and it just runs um, on on ZK Sync. and so it's it's sort of the holy grail when it comes to um, L2 scalability. Um, but um, I think you know all this stuff is, is still going to be shaken out. I think there's so much around it of just again, sort of like narrative and 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 community. So you know, maybe optimism isn't the fastest. Maybe they don't have the best um, tech, but if they have sort of the meme and the community behind it, um, you know, and, and everybody sort of co-locates on, a, on a optimism. That could be enough to sort of win. Um, arguably, you know, Ethereum is the worst smart contract platform, but you know, everyone's here, so you know, no one's going to leave. do
7: something
1: Yeah, um, I don't think anybody knows 100% for sure which you know scaling solution is going to win in the end, which L1 is going to be the dominant L1. Um, you know, I used to think it was Ethereum, but then you know, BSC came out this year and you know they they took the world by storm. Um, and so you know, our strategy has been to kind of take bets across a variety of scaling solutions. So, you know, we've we've bet on um, Arbitrum, we've bet um, on Solana, uh, you know, we've taken positions in dApps across BSC and and Avalanche. Um, And um, really, I think that the the main challenge for the scaling solutions is uh, what what Ryan mentioned around uh, adoption of token centers by these exchanges, because these exchanges are the on-ramps, right, for all the new people coming into, you know, the, the DeFi, like, layer one ecosystem. And so if Coinbase doesn't support your token standard and Binance doesn't support your token standard, you're pretty much like, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to get any adoption at all. Um, and you know, Binance with kind of such a large dominant position in this space, they kind of control like, where people go, right? So because of the fact that they have BSC. Like I find it very unlikely that they're going to, you know, start using SLC20 or whatever Solana standard is, and they're really going to kind of keep pushing, uh, you know, the BAP20 standard, right? And and that's kind of the reason why you saw Binance Smart Chain take off so much, uh, and and for for Coinbase, right? Like Coinbase being another major on-ramp, and for you know where a lot of you know uh, money is today, you know they move very slowly, right? So even when optimism comes out in, in during the summer, you know, I think it's going to be at least a few months before they start, you know, allowing you to withdraw directly to op- uh, uh, optimism.
0: Um, since you mentioned um, Coinbase, how do you feel that IPO is going to affect the, the market after tomorrow?
1: It's a good question. Um, I mean, uh, it really kind of depends on how people are positioned before, because... You know, I think the rationale is that there's a lot of people that are gonna be making a lot of money off the Coinbase IPO, especially like these earlier employees. But the thing is that like they're not gonna get their money right away and we don't know how much money they're gonna be taking off the table. And so it could be, you know, tomorrow where they get the money, it could be a week from now, it could be a month from now. And it also, you know, there's a delay in which they start allocating to crypto as well. So um, you know, I think there will be, you know, a positive impact in terms of you know, new capital inflows coming into the crypto markets. But, you know, that's probably gonna be spread across, you know, a longer time span. And so I don't think, you know, you'll get like a pump directly because of new people allocating. You might see, you know, uh, some positive reaction if say Coinbase, you know, is valued at $200 billion or something like that. Uh, you know, it might give people more confidence in the space, but, you know, we were just checking derivatives today and, you know, they were looking pretty overheated as well. And so, you know, the question is how much more ex- extended can they get? And you know, if we see, like, an unwinding today, then maybe they can continue to, to extend. But if they stay where they're at, then maybe not.
7: Oh, yeah. Since Andrew mentioned that, like, BSE is actually on the rise, so it could be, like, a potential, like, a threat to the Ethereum. So, like, when do you have, like, do you see the trend is actually coming as well, or... Since so you're um, really invested by Binance, so <laughs> you're supporting like uh, <laughs> Ethereum like, layer too, so <laughs> anything to add? Here? Yeah,
4: I think that's a good point. I mean, BSC is doing pretty well. Um, personally, I think this actually are, I mean, like BSC and Ethereum are two group of people. I mean, we actually got lots of uh, people coming from BSC because we, I mean, we actually have this bridge between BSC and Sky. Um, but uh, I mean, like, so people coming from B- I mean, BSC, they actually don't really use like other things like Uniswap. They, they don't have that experience. So I think BSC will be strong. I mean, like uh, it will be there for, for long. And uh, But personally, I think um, Ethereum will still be the kind of a like top one. So BSC will be the, the next. And then um, I'm more like bullish on the other chains, probably, like, um, you know, other layer one protocols, yeah.
7: Yeah, you keep nodding, so I'm just, like, assuming uh, that you have something to add. I mean, I mean just, uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: just a, just a tick, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I think um, on a longer time frame, I'm a little bit more, you know, bearish on, on BSC. I think um, a lot of people in the Ethereum space kind of, you know, hold their nose at, at, you know, sort of BSC, and, um, you know, they're, they're kind of full ETH maxis to heart, and I, I'm, I'm certainly not like that. I think, like, BSC is absolutely, like, Playing an essential role. I mean, Ethereum has gotten extremely expensive to use, in large part because of these these um, you know gas auctions that you know, drive gas prices up extremely high, as we've sort of seen you know with sort of this this MEV narrative, um, and you know rightfully so. I think I think most people um, who aren't in the space don't have you know twenty dollars to spend on a Uniswap trade. Like that's just egregiously high. And I think people who have been in the space long enough, you know maybe maybe they've sort of lost sight of that. And I think. Um, BSC is playing a pretty essential role in, you know, offering sort of a, a very cheap way for people to use some of these sort of, you know, DeFi primitives. But I think ultimately, like, you know, you sort of look, you know, let's say two or three years down the line. Um, I, I think, you know, ultimately in sort of this, this you know, scalability, you know, question, I don't think BSC has really done anything particularly innovative, right? They've, they've basically taken Ethereum and, and sped it up. And that sort of results in like a lot of limitations, um, you know, incredible state bloat um, you're still a sort of capped in terms of what the actual throughput can, can provide. I think the thing that, that BSC did, um, which, is, which is also really innovative and I think, like, I'm, I'm surprised nobody, none of the other Ethereum competitors did was, was basically provide true EVM compatibility. So, you know, trying to use Tron, trying to use Solana, trying to use, you know, even Avalanche and using a lot of these other competitors, you're downloading a new wallet, you're using some you know, very, very complicated thing to sort of, uh, you know, get moved over. Um, with BSC, it's just a brand. It's just a different RPC endpoint. You can just, you know, switch your MetaMask over, and like it just works. Um, I think that's sort of um, um, underappreciated when people think about think about BSC. But I, I do think, you know, as Ethereum gas costs come down, as scalability improves with some of these these L2s that offer basically the same UX as using um, something like a BSC or, or something like a, uh, you know, so sort of a separate blockchain, um, I think that there's less of a need um, to have something like that because, you know, there's sort of a question of, of what is what is the actual value problem.
7: Um, and also, congrats on, like, a recent, like, launch of your uh, another, like, 225 million crypto funds. Um, yeah, so I just want to like, probably represent their crowd and just want to see, like, for this new fund, like, what will be, like, what are you seeing? Like, they are still, like, the biggest need in the DeFi space that need to be fixed right now. And... Um, yeah, so what area would you actually still looking to like to fulfill the needs part um, for investments? And how do you identify those like uh, promising like DeFi projects?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it sort of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, um, sort of around you know, new areas of opportunity within DeFi. Um, so some of these, these new areas, I think real world assets is another area that we're excited about actually just today. Um, so the first proposal went up on the maker executive to basically add um, um, invoices. Um, via centrifuge on Maker as collateral, um, so it will be real companies borrowing from MakerDAO um, in like the next week, which is like pretty exciting. Um, I think you know the fund is also not going to be fully allocated just to doing sort of early stage seed checks. I think we'll probably also get exposure to a lot of the current DeFi assets that maybe we've held in Fund One that we also think are going to be great. I think the story for DeFi isn't um, you know sort of this you know super you know speculative uh, hyper you know um, um, leveraged sort of sort of ecosystem that we're in right now. It's like this stuff has to actually scale up and sort of be this, this world financial um layer otherwise it's just not super interesting as, as an investment like if the end state for something like compound is you know 10 billion dollars in assets then then it, this isn't you know a super interesting way to spend your time and, and probably not a super interesting way to actually invest um and so i think if you actually believe in the DeFi thesis and you sort of again think on like a seven-year time horizon um a lot of this stuff still seems pretty underpriced when you when you think about what is the potential and what can this thing do um it's sort of like um, you know, everybody who uh, you know, uh, sold Facebook at the, at the IPO, and now it's, you know, 30 times higher. Um, and so it's like you have to sort of think on, on a longer time horizon. And, and for us, when we think about venture, um, there's still a lot of interesting, I think, underpriced opportunities in DeFi today. Um, I think beyond that, you know, there's there's still, I think, a lot of opportunity just around, um, you know, improving the UX and, and bringing more people on board. I think um, the wallet space is still kind of uncontested. There's obviously a lot of people on desktop use use MetaMask. Um, on on mobile, there's a couple of sort of fledging, you know, fledgling um, 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 platforms, but I, I still think there's like a huge opportunity um, to make this stuff, you know, just as transparent and just as usable as, um, you know, using Venmo or using Line Pay or or you know whatever the, the preference of your choice is.
0: Um, are you a Stanford grad?
2: <laughs> I am actually. Yeah, why? <laughs> I was like,
0: you you don't sound like the type of people that like Kay was like you know.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, wait. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so and yeah. So some questions like that, right? Yeah.
2: Don't don't <laughs> invest in me. <laughs> I,
3: I have full confidence behind Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um I actually so to add on to that yeah there there was um there's something a friend mentioned that I, I thought was pretty relevant here and it's that actually I think in the coming years there are going to be a lot of people who've made a hell of a who will make a hell of a lot more money than the people who are already in the space like there's just so much more room for this to grow um and then uh, the second thing is I I actually wanted to step back toward uh, with like the BSE stuff and kind of present um... You know, kind of like the other side of the uh, the argument. I agree. Like uh, long term, I'm not sure that BSC necessarily um, you know out outperforms or outlives Ethereum. I think a lot of the stuff built on it is complete bullshit, and like um, it's pretty, it's very low quality. It's very opportunistic. But um, I think with given given some time, um, I mean the the way the way Chinese companies operate, right, is they Uh, they iterate on innovations that already work and they make them a lot more accessible at much lower cost to just the lowest common denominator. And we've seen many times in the past that it works. Uh, And especially uh, given that they have kind of like their their own sort of ecosystem just in China alone. No one outside of China has to give a shit about whatever they're doing on BSC. As long as they're Chinese farmers and taxi drivers and you know janitors and 711 workers using this stuff like it will make money um i just it's it's uh it is mind-boggling just the sheer number of people that there are there and the sheer amount of uh both you know both both from uh lower income people as well as just like uh you know like er dai san dai right like just these <laughs> these these uh the second gen and third gens that have made all their money from uh, inflated uh, real estate prices, or uh, you know, their parents or grandparents maybe were doing private equity or construction, manufacturing in the past. There's a lot of retarded money out there, <laughs> like just they they will buy anything that um, that they the, the the general DD process. Okay, for a lot of these guys is just they will ask their their closest friends, "Have you heard of this project? It's called it's called." Uh, Sweeps, you know, and they do like uh, um, mop renting on the blockchain. Do you like it? And like, oh yeah, I've heard of that project. They'll go in, <laughs> right? And so I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't think crypto timeframes are generally a lot shorter. And at least with BSC, I think there's still much uh, fruit to be harvested. Um,
0: I, I have a, I have a question, like from a different perspective. I feel like this run has made a lot of. Um, people who have been in the space for a while, uh, new millionaires or, or whatnot, do you feel like these people are going to give back and, and build to the community? Do you think they're going to go, you know, buy yachts? Or yeah, get absolutely Lambos? not. Because, because like, I, I got <laughs> a message today. I got a message today, and it was someone, I have an anonymous person, who was like, hey, Amber, we met at an ETH conference. You probably don't remember. I'm like, yeah, I don't remember you. He was like, I've made made it. Have you? And I was like, what? No. He was like, how can I help you get there? Like the random stuff that's happening now that I'm seeing. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I find it kind of worrying when like all my friends are doing angel investments, and it's like. And on the one hand, I do think it's it's great. Like I think the people who were building during the the bear market are you know committed. They're not just here for for, for money. They actually believe in the stuff and they want to see it through. Um, I think at the same time, it's also yeah. And, and therefore, they are, you know, reinvesting in the space. I think at the same time, there is a lot of capital floating on right now, and a lot of stuff is getting funded. And I think uh, the valuations that we're seeing are, are kind of, you know, reflective of that.
7: So, Kenny, you mentioned that, like, in China projects, there are a lot of, like, probably th- those, like, lending ones, like, lending um, projects. Um, do you see that, like, some of the, like, China, like, traditional, like, P2P, they probably just moved to like become like what just like package it to become like a DeFi, like a landing project? Or how do you like identify those like scammy projects not to invest?
3: Oh, so I, I, I honestly, I don't really know about the first part of the question. Um, but the second part, how to identify scams. Uh, generally, it's the same people running the scams. Um, <laughs> it's the, the general DD process is just um, you figure out who's, you know, like, all you're going to see is kind of just like the uh, the team at face value. Those are gonna, all going to be figureheads, right? You want to you want to talk to them, make friends with them, drink drink with them, get them drunk, right? You go with them, and then and then you ask, who is your real boss? Who is the one funding this? Um, and once you find that out, you find that most of them tend to be the same funds. I won't name any, but um, it's the same ones from you know that have been running this stuff from 2015, 2016, 2017, 18, all the way up until now. Um, not to say that. Um, you know, I, I I have no moral qualms necessarily with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the game is the game, right? And, you know, if if they weren't running these things, someone else would. Uh, okay, awesome.
0: Um, yeah. Thank you, thank you. to <laughs> <laughs> oh, add?
5: I, I was going to add one more point on, on the BSC thing since we keep talking about that one. I, I think the one other interesting thing there is just the distribution of Binance. Like, you know, we have, uh, my company has two tokens on Binance, and for this first token, it's natively built on Binance Chain. The second token, though, you know, we never talked to them about it. They just turned on withdrawals for Binance Smart Chain. And they can do that with all of their Ethereum tokens. So it's just like, hey, you know, you don't need to talk to them. They'll turn it on. And then, you know, they'll spin up a pool on Pancake or whatever. And boom, you know, it's liquidity. Um, I, the wealth question was interesting, though. And I think, you know, I've seen this on Twitter, you know, as people like to show off their money and stuff. But I think for a lot of people in crypto, they're very young. And it's like,
0: what do you do when you're young, right? You, I don't know. When I was <laughs> yeah. I wanted like a bouncy you, castle. You'd uh, go
5: do something <laughs> else. You invest in other people. You know, it's like. Thinking about the Coinbase IPO, there's a lot of people that are going to get really rich that are also young. And like they're only on their first or second act of a career. So but I, still I like, like
0: how it's really random. Like they like to do, they can mobilize to do a lot of really like random shit. And that's what I love about yes. it. <laughs> yeah. I want to see more rainbows. And stuff
5: like Yeah, that. I think everyone has different interests across like science and technology and <laughs> I, you know, I philosophy. Be, I think you'll be
3: sorely disappointed. I'm sorry.
0: Ken, Ken knows me the, the best. He knows my like um, interest in, in different uh, Kinds no,
3: of I things. mean I, I, I wish I wish there were more people that would be you know kind of like diverting these funds into better causes for the world but I, I think the reality is that we have had a very peaceful and prosperous 60 years when was World War two like just just <laughs> whatever <laughs> Whenever that was.
0: The 40s. The 40s. Uh, I love the it. 40s. Let's, let's, like, conquer. Like, I used to do a lot of foundations, like, you know, Save the Lake, World Peace. So I can help you guys with that if you want to, like, you know, put towards these efforts. Like, I got you, Ken.
3: Love to eventually. Once I, uh, you yeah, know, once I figure out how to restructure things. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think we're kind of like a phase in, uh, like, a, a more a bigger macro phase where it just... People have had a really good time for far too long. Like, there's just not that many really altruistic people. I think. Again, I I, I tend more towards cynicism because of my past experiences, but uh, I hope that it doesn't color anyone else's um intentions moving forward and I hope you all great do great things in but the world I, I
0: do believe in the community and I do believe that there's a lot of genuinity and like good heart and I do feel that at the end of the day like those people that are orchestrating these big kind of scams are not going to be like the winners at the end like that's my like true believer mentality right there and I also want to say that like during these like different topics events like we have next week's topics about real estate and biotech in the room because there's so much like cross interest so I think there's a lot of room for people who invest in DeFi to, you know, talk about sustainability or talk about like how to live forever, longevity. I think there's so much room to grow from these things. But I also think that um, you yeah, have a lot of thoughts. But anyway, I think you guys kind of know each other, kind of don't know each other. I just want to like like let you guys like you know work it out. You have any questions for each other? Well, let's start with Tom because he's looking at each other, <laughs> and every. <laughs>
2: Yeah, right. I got called out here. I, I think I've, I've met everyone other than, than Ryan. I guess we just met. But, yeah, I don't... I don't.
0: What have you always wanted to ask Andrew?
2: I, I feel like I chat with Andrew pretty frequently, so I don't know if I have anything particularly burning. Do you have anything, anything you want
1: to ask me?
0: It could be, like, non-DeFi related if you're, like, you know, like...
1: What are you doing this weekend? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <I'm> nothing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you, you guys have any, like, you know, inner... Discussion points
2: Oh, um, the, uh, our, our, our second button is closed, um, but, um, yeah, yeah.
3: Andrew, when are you going to start taking LPs?
0: These are good questions.
3: I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I ask him that all the time. He's not taking any LPs.
0: To the mic, you guys have anything you want to add? You're new uh, here, Ryan.
3: Yeah, sure, I'll
5: ask uh, Yeah, you know, Tom, you brought up the points about um, MEV earlier, and I was just talking to Ray the other day. You know, we were in a group, and there was some speculation that the reason that gas prices were lower was that Flashbots was actually working. You know, any speculation to whether that was the case or it was just people were more on Binance Smart Chain that day?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Um, uh, it's it's very early to tell because it's basically started dropping over the weekend. But um, Flatbush has done a really great job um, selling to miners and sort of rolling up hash rate. So um, it is quite possible. I think um, uh, it's yeah. It, it's kind of too early to tell. I think, but I, optimistically, if, if you can sort of isolate and remove that that priority gas auction and, and separate it elsewhere, um, then you can sort of you know uh, lower gas fees for everybody and, and sort of you know isolate isolate that particular thing. Um, I think also like with the IP 1559, like that just sort of adds so much tailwinds to sort of the MEV narrative because a lot of the miner revenue is going away, and so they need to get somewhere else. And so it's like, you know, let's let's stabilize gas fees and, and sort of you know um, um, take MEV into like a separate arena.
1: I have a question for Yanwen: uh, What markets are you guys excited about adding to Perp, and when are you guys going to add Coin?
4: Okay, so right now we launched most of the park, uh, most of the DeFi um, tokens. And uh, I think um, personally, I think the like Andrew said, um, the U.S. stock market. I think that will be really interesting. I mean, but uh, there is always regulation risk on that. That would be one. The other thing, the other thing that uh, might be interesting is probably like yeah, I think it would be the stock, yeah, U.S. stock. Yeah, once we can have U.S. stock, I think we can launch everything.
2: Yeah. I maybe have a question for other people, including Yanwen. Um, We're all in, in Taiwan. Um, what can
5: Taiwan do to sort of cement itself as a, as a crypto hub in, in Asia? Something to do with capital gains and, and taxes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, this place is perfect, but the tax code is just not super friendly compared to other, you know, even like a Hong Kong or Singapore or obviously the super tax-friendly places. So, I mean, if they just did something there, I mean, why would we ever leave? It's, this is pretty great.
0: Yeah, what else do you think, like, Taipei, Taiwan needs... Um,
5: I, I think this is this probably applies
3: to like the broader kind of startup space. I think um, maybe I, I don't know exactly what kind of mechanics you can put in place, but just something to encourage more risk taking from some of the endemic funds here. I, I think the problem that a lot of startups express is that there's just not a lot of um, risk affinitive money here. Like people just don't invest in tiny startups, and I think part of that maybe is because the market's too small or um, I don't know. It, it could be that like the startup culture here isn't aggressive enough, but uh, anything to help build that up, I think would be very helpful. I think I think a lot of a lot of very good founders here have a very tough time just because it's difficult to find. Um, it, it's it's difficult to raise money in Taiwan.
4: I think it's really hard. Uh, personally, I think um, in Taiwan, hardware. I mean, hardware industry is really huge. Most of the colleagues they went to like hardware company, ICT side companies. I mean, the whole cast just be just there. So only a small percentage of people working on software, and um, I think, and of that, only a small tiny percent of people will work on crypto. So we don't really have lots of people working on crypto. I think that's just like structural issue. I don't think hardware industry will go away. I mean, it actually keep going strong. So that's what we are, uh, what we have now. Um, Personally, I think having like makeup like this or like education, I'm mean, kind of like expose people more to the crypto probably help. I can do but, that. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but I don't. I, I just don't really. I mean, I'm not very positive about this. I I think it's just too slow. And uh, to to Ken's point, I don't really think the funding is a problem. I mean, uh, you can always raise funds from out from outside Taiwan. I mean, if you have a good idea. But the the problem is not a lot not enough people doing this, not enough good teams, and then you don't even have a chance to kind of go aboard and race.
7: Yeah. Since can you say that there are not much like, money here, like, why don't you go like, the VC move here then? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that's what the trend is, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's start with like the second part of this event. This is where I like look at the audience and call out people by name. I think there's a lot of different levels of people interested in DeFi here. We have like, you know, uh, investors like Ray and we have like Chris and Seaman and Chris, is there any like questions you guys want to ask or anybody? Please.
3: I think a lot of it is going to be dependent on some of the more pervasive um, social media platforms. Specifically, the case that I'm talking about is Clayton with uh, Kakao Talk. Um, I think they've done a really good job, I think, of of uh, kind of smoothing the onboarding process. uh, uh ClaySwap, their decentralized dex is is available on the KakaoTalk app. Like you can access Clayton token very easily. Um, I I, yeah, I I think like with many other things in crypto, the solution is going to be something that you know not very many people can think of or are focused on. Um, But I I guess like I would I would say that uh, one of the yeah, one of the more interesting routes that has been taken is with uh is specifically in the case of just like the Clayton ecosystem and what they have with cacao. I guess maybe the the best analogy for the American market might be Facebook and Instagram, but because the American market is a lot more, you know, touchy with that kind of stuff, it might take a while longer, but I mean, like the regulate, the regulatory barrier is very large, so it, I don't I'm, I'm not sure that's something that anyone can really innovate through like you just you you just you just need to have the right team working on it that has the right connections with, um, uh, with a, with the bureaucracy.
5: I think in the U.S. you know you see PayPal. I mean, you know I don't know how many Americans have a PayPal account, but it's a good amount. So that's kind of a start. You saw Revolut the other day just added eleven tokens, and it was like you know Uniswap and Filecoin. So not even just the big tokens. So I think you know there's things like that. And then, uh, ultimately, I feel like USCC will probably do something here. I mean, I, I don't know what exactly, but I could see them integrating with more and more fintech apps or something along those lines, perhaps. You know, Dharma has a pretty good solution. It's just not a widely used app. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's a common question for sure. I have no idea what the TWD ramps are like.
1: Um, yeah, so my opinion is that I don't think um, a lot of the mainstream people will use DeFi, and I don't think they need to. I think the yield will, you know, get to them in other ways, and they already are, right? So, if you look at some of the really famous lending solutions out there, like BlockFi and Celsius, you know, they have millions of customers, and they're doing billions of dollars in business in a centralized fashion, and I think a lot of people don't understand where that yield comes from. That yield comes from, you know, them doing their own trading and uh, lending and DeFi themselves, Um And there's like, there's like one lending company actually that is like very aggressive in in yield farming and they take a lot of risks. And it's, you know, it's kind of like an open secret in the industry. Uh, I'm not going to name their name, but, you know, there's other, you know, more conservative ones and, you know, maybe they don't do their own yield farming, but they will lend out to funds that will do yield farming themselves. And so, you know, it's happening, but it's happening indirectly. And I think that's how it's going to continue to happen. Similar to like how, you know, um, you know, yield and uh, interest rates work in the, you know, current traditional financial system.
0: Bad. I just want to, I want to also ask, cause I think people, um, you know, living in Taiwan are interested, like Andrew, you said you're kind of here because you like it here. Um, are you planning on like having a company and office here? All of the other guys, is Taiwan going to be home? Is this a COVID escape. Um, what's your co- connection here?
1: Um, so, uh, I work with uh, one analyst here, Eva, um, Hi, Eva. and, uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm planning on going to Puerto Rico actually next week. Um, I'm a U.S. citizen, so, uh, you know, Puerto Rico is the only place where I can, you know, get those tax benefits. Uh, There's a lot of really talented people that came here from Puerto Rico as well, and, you know, they're all unfortunately going back because of, uh, you know, tax reasons. So if something could be worked out there, that would be awesome, but, uh, you know, I I plan to split my time between Taiwan and Puerto Rico in the future.
0: That's a really interesting combination. I've never heard that before, just (laughs) to say, like, Puerto Rico and Taiwan, your affinity for, like, good weather and islands. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, of, no, like maybe half a dozen
1: of us yeah.
2: um yeah I mean with me I think um, it's sort of multiple factors um, I think one just with dragonfly and a large part of the team being in Asia lot of our LPS in Asia a lot of portfolio companies in Asia um, it sort of made the calculation make a lot more sense because I'm already you know spending a lot of time on, on calls with sort of the this time zone um, and then you know just broadly speaking I spent um, you know 10 years in San Francisco as um, so, a product manager at Instagram before I was at zero X and obviously I was in school. And so just looking for something new. And I think, you know, sort of speaking to the, the global nature of, of crypto, I sort of, you know, did was reflecting on, on my year in, in, you know, November and I was like, I'm just not really doing deals in the Bay area. I don't think I did like a single Bay area based, based deal, um, in, in 2020. And so, you know, ostensibly the reason why you live in SF is to get access to that talent and that deal flow and that network. But if it's not there, then, then what's really keeping you there and, I think Taiwan, you know, presents a lot of great, you know, opportunities, especially again with with sort of uh, their Dragonfly Asia focus.
0: Uh, do you have a gold card? And do you see a lot of Taiwan like DeFi startups? Because I don't really know that many of them. Maybe. Yeah,
2: I do have a gold card. Um, I there aren't that many Taiwan um, DeFi startups. I think you know broadly speaking, it's just a great place to live in in Asia and sort of get exposure to a lot of the great teams that are building in Asia. I love to see more, um, you know, um, Taiwanese uh uh defi companies that we're looking
0: at for Taiwanese defi company maybe they can
2: yeah 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 if you if you are in, in in Taiwan and you're working on something cool in crypto definitely definitely message me um or or email me um but yeah we we do investments everywhere across Europe US Asia um um and i think i think yeah you know, from that perspective um uh it, it, anyone 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 anywhere who's working on something cool like we're happy to invest and um i think that sort of speaks to like the sort of global nature of capital that that people have been...
0: You're from Taiwan. You have, like, three exit companies here, but please, please, do, do tell us.
4: <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm from Taiwan. Taiwan, Taiwan, like You want to move... You can see the, yourself moving? Is, oh. Uh, oh, you're well. okay. <laughs> you're just <laughs> happy on the yeah. mic. <laughs> um,
5: yeah, I, I I love Asia. I lived in Hong Kong previously, and I spent, like, you know, for work six months traveling through Asia and, uh, you know, China and, and Korea. But I'd actually never been to Taiwan. And then um, I'm sure many of you guys know the guys from origin. I saw Josh updated his bio to say he moved to Taiwan, and I just messaged him and said, hey, how'd you do that?
0: See the reason, what brought you here, really? Yeah,
5: yeah. I, I didn't know the gold card existed. I, I've,
0: I've known this guy in, like, three different countries, by the way. Yeah.
5: Anyway, and yeah, you know, I got the gold card. I moved out here, and I was planning to stay for like two weeks, and then I was going to go to Singapore because you know I couldn't go from America to Singapore, but I could go from America to Taiwan to Singapore.
0: You can go to Singapore now without quarantine, just so you know.
5: I, I know that's, that's why I came here. And then I was here for two weeks, and I was like, this place fucking rocks. I mean, I was supposed to go to, to Hong
0: Kong, and I never went. Yeah, back it's like to I Hong mean, Kong.
5: I've been to Singapore. I know it's kind of boring um, compared to Taiwan. So exactly. now I'm here, and uh, you know, I love it. Don't really want to leave. Um, yeah, most of our team at this point has actually left the Bay Area too I think most of our team lives in Europe at, at this point we still have a couple people in California I like it here a lot
0: Yen-wen, I just wanted to say that sorry I just wanted to say that you're like you know a staple of you know successful um, entrepreneur and startups in Taiwan so do you feel like there's enough you can be based here and your companies can grow here or how do you like How do you, what are your, your advice to Taiwanese startups
4: oh that's uh, that, uh, that's a good question so Definitely, can base here. We are based here, in here. We have like around like nineteen people right now. Mostly are uh, in Taiwan. I think that's um, it's um, we take a very different approach. I mean, like um, um, I mean, I, I've been like doing. I mean, I like, having my own staff for like like almost like twenty years. So a very long time. I have been like through like different cycles and. Uh, I think, I mean, for the past five years, actually, I went to Bay Area a lot. Just try to build a connection because, it, I mean, like, if you want to get like, outside funding, you have to have that connection. And then most of most of investors are in Bay Area. So I actually spend like one third of the time there. But actually, scale fund last year, you don't have to do that. I mean, like all investors, I haven't met like, most of all, all, my own investors, in, I mean, physically. I mean that's actually how it works right now. So um, I mean for Taiwanese startup, I think definitely good look, ho- look for funding outside of Taiwan. And uh, I think it's definitely you can find like talent here and then work on your team. Yes, that's true. So we just like pay more. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's definitely one way. But uh, I mean just like I mean we spend uh, I think a lot of time. I mean like reviewing like people and then try to uh, recruit people. Yeah, it's just. I, I
0: also want to say that there's also YouTube. Like, I googled all of you guys, and the most videos of like English and like YouTube uh, videos was was Yuen one So YouTube's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Kate? How can you talk about uh, home here? Basis home in Shanghai. I, I know you have some insight into China and Shanghai.
3: Uh, I mean, I, I like Taiwan a lot better. Like in general, um, I'm I'm also heading to Puerto Rico as well. Uh, Are you leaving? <laughs> no, like like mid mid May.
0: I want to go to Puerto Rico. there's some people in Barbados also Barbados
3: yeah I, th- so yeah, I think th- there's a lot of really good American talent going to Puerto Rico <laughs> um, <laughs> i I guess the people just really like the beaches there uh,
4: <laughs> yeah
3: I, I mean as far as as far as talent goes right, like it's a very progressive culture like uh very uh, yeah there's a lot of good tech talent um people here are very open to just like innovation in general um it's a very fun place.
0: It is very fun, uh, we've all had quite some fun here. I think, um, yeah, that's enough for the love of Taiwan. So let's go back to questions, uh, Stan. DeFi questions. First, you know, you guys talk about
3: Puerto Rico. What, what's the tax benefit for Puerto Rico? <laughs> <laughs> is there a lawyer in the house?
0: Yeah, the lawyer. Can you answer that? Second question is, uh, uh, Bitcoin's
3: been, you know, 63k right now. I
0: heard, you know, uh, fall off
3: top, I've heard late cycle. Where are we in the cycle? No investment what, advice.
6: Where's
3: where everyone's thought in terms of where Bitcoin can go, and what's your justification for that valuation? Puerto Rico first. Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah. Puerto Rico uh, the the tax benefit. Uh, I don't know. I just really like
6: beaches. If you like the beaches. You're there for the beaches. It's just about the tax. So.
3: Well, you know, I just, I've always wanted to learn how to surf, so that's why I'm going. <laughs> no, um, yeah. As I mean, for any Americans here, I guess like as uh, they're So they've kind of like folded Act 20, Act 22 into Act 60. Just like, um, if you're there, um, any income that you make is four percent capital gains zero. Um, yeah. You guys aren't. Like, citizen. What? Sorry, if you're, US, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're going
1: to be taxed everywhere. Except Puerto Rico. Except Puerto Rico. That's the only place, yeah.
3: And the reason for, you know, the reason for that is because we're going to be reinvesting into the ecosystem there.
0: And let's have a non-tax question. Peter, Seaman, any, Chris, anybody? Oh. Yeah.
3: Sorry? Oh, Bitcoin price. Price and valuation.
0: Justification.
5: Thank you. am Horizon. You know, it's, it's uncapped. 300K. You know, next week, who knows?
0: 300K. End of year. Is it overvalued now?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows. I think, I think it's a really low probability that we top out at, at 63K. Um, if you uh, listen to like an interview from NYDIG last month, they mentioned that they had a lineup of something like $25 billion worth of inflows from institutional investors waiting to get in. Uh, they have a very kind of like long queue, and there's just a lot of institutional money as opposed to retail money from last cycle. Uh, you know, try to get into Bitcoin, and they move very slowly, right? So. Um, you know, I don't I don't I don't think we're done yet for the cycle.
0: Awesome. Okay, last like final DeFi questions. Come on. Andrew, come on, Dan, you I don't know you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't <laughs> <laughs>
6: Sorry. 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 <laughs> You, you mean my name?
0: Yeah, no, are you? My
6: name is William, Hi, I'm Liam. from the Yeah, yeah. And I have a uh, I have a question uh, about Andrew. Yeah, because I'm a big fan of Andrew. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and yesterday, I've, I I just found a very impressive post that uh, from Andrew. Is that uh, Andrew said that uh, apathy is a lifeblood of investment or, and uh, and trending. Yeah. And, uh, I feel very impressive, and i I'm also curious about, uh, in recent, uh, recently, uh, have you seen any phenomena that some people uh, don't don't show their empathy or don't have empathy and money, or you found some phenomena about that, so you want to write a post, and, you, and any, other pe- uh, any other people have some uh, opinion, I'm also very interested in uh, hear, hearing your opinion, yeah.
0: I always get names wrong. I thought he said Andrew Yang, and I was like, wow, Andrew <laughs> Kang is, like, just as up there as, like, Andrew Yang, next mayor of New York, but, yeah, please answer. Could you
4: restate
1: the question? I think um, it was a um, question in response to a tweet I made about um, empathy being the, the lifeblood of trading investing, um, and, you know, kind of, like, the rationale behind that is that, uh, you know, from the investing perspective, right, like, you want to invest in things that are going to have product market fit. And for you to be able to understand that, you kind of need to understand the market participants, what what their needs are, what they're going to be able to use, right? And so, you, you know, if you can get that right, then you can have a very high hit rate in investing. If you don't get that right, then probably not. Um, And then from a trading perspective, right, like, you know, where price goes is not based on any sort of like fundamental value or intrinsic value at the end of the day that, you know, that's a meme doesn't make, you know, it doesn't exist. Uh, You know, where price goes is just where people are are buying and selling a specific asset. And so if you can understand where they're buying and selling and why they're buying and selling, you know, how they're going to be trading in the future, then, you know, then you're going to kind of understand where where price is going to go.
0: Cool. If there's any, no more questions from the audience. Let's just have like everyone go through like you know last remarks or like whatever they want to say, and then we'll get back to um, drinking whiskey and um, Indian samosas. So let's start with uh, Ryan.
5: Enjoy the whiskey, samosas, and um, you know I'm I'm pretty widely accessible. I'm just at Ryan Rodaba on every social media app, no demand, Telegram, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. So. Reach
0: out? Core on Friday night? I think a lot of us here we could have had this event at core Friday night I don't know
4: that'd be fun
5: that'd be fun
0: maybe we'll do our next event just at core right? <laughs> um
4: if you have any like gify like I guess I'm happy to discuss or like give I mean like comments on that uh, other if you want to race you should go to Tom and Andrew I think those are the
3: the top I mean
0: talking like, 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 please, please don't contact me <laughs>
3: um I I guess like uh, something I'd like to talk about is just if you're getting into crypto now, um, I guess like be very careful with how you manage risk. Uh, Don't over leverage. I think, again, like we're very like mid to late cycle. We could keep going up. But in the event that we don't, you want to make sure that you don't get taken out of the game. That has been the most the single most important factor in um, who is successful in crypto is just that you survive.
0: I think that's a good strategy to survive for like the next three or four years. But I think when people ask others like, oh, you know, a lot of people have been in DeFi a long time. Like, should I invest in DeFi? The answer is usually no. (laughs) Like, don't invest in DeFi. And if you do, you know, invest in something like Bitcoin. So what advice do you give people? I'm sure even everyone from like your neighbor to like your dog sitter has been asking you on advice. So what do you usually tell people?
3: I don't have any financial advice. (laughs) 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 Um, But just, uh, again... Don't invest anything that you cannot afford to lose. All right. Okay. Um, and if you do, um, do enough research that you have like an idea of why you want to go in. Otherwise, it's pure gambling, and you know, luck isn't really a strategy. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have any social media.
0: <laughs> you're, you're the anonymous, okay? You're K the anonymous. No one, you're not here. No one knows who you are. That's it.
2: Um, let's see, closing remarks. Um,
0: or like risk management
2: kind of. Stuff. I don't know if I have any risk management. Or what comments.
0: you tell like, what you tell your babysitter. Babysitter. No, what?
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't I have any children. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of people um, are thinking about what to do in crypto. You know, should I work in crypto? Should I build something in crypto? Should I invest in crypto? Um, and you know, I also don't know what the market's going to do next week or, or this week with the Coinbase IPO, or it's it going to do a month from now. I think you just kind of have to zoom out and and you know sort of see what's been happening over the past ten years and like it, it only ratchets up, um, it never ratchets down. And um, I think if you if you have that kind of time horizon, and you have that kind of perspective. Um, there's amazing opportunities in in crypto, but you kind of have to go in with with that mindset that um, this is like a long term uh, play. Um, and and most people who who lose money, they, they you lose money from from selling, not from from holding.
0: I understand that. I also think that, you know, uh, I want to ask you also, because people come up to me like, oh, we're really interested in um, NTFs. What's that? That's really cool. So I think like, you know, (laughs) people really need to do their research and do their homework. And, you know, what can you add to that? Or Andrew, please.
1: Yeah, I guess um, uh, right now there's a lot of excitement and interest in this space because, you know, uh, the markets are going up and uh, you know everyone's making money. But and that's not gonna last forever and uh, you know these cycles are, are you know usually very similar in the sense that you know interest kinda of goes away when prices stop going up and so and I hope everyone, you know, maintains their, their belief and conviction in the space and that they continue to kinda of work and build in, during the bear market and you know everything will pay off as, as long as you kinda of keep that conviction. It has for those of us that have.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, should we let's like get back to drinking and thank you everyone for, for coming here. Thank you so much for being here guys and and yeah.